is Rutherford Issues, hitting right at what matters most to all of us here in the heart of Tennessee. From Murfreesboro to Smyrna, Eagleville to Laverne, Leanna to Barfield, and everywhere in between. If it matters to you, you'll hear about it in the next hour here on Rutherford Issues. Now your host, Brian Barrett. Time right now, 1030. I am Scott Walker sitting in for Brian Barrett this week. Mike Sparks, state representative, in studio with us this morning. Mike, how are you doing? How are you doing? Good, Scott. How are you? I'm good. And you brought with you Elliot Pinsley, president and CEO of the Behavioral Health Foundation. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So just starting off this morning, what is Behavioral Health Foundation? Thank you for asking. The Behavioral Health Foundation is a relatively new nonprofit. It's based in Nashville. It's a uh, policy center. So what we're trying to do is advance good laws and other policies that help uh, provide better access to quality mental health care and addiction treatment um, in Tennessee and, and other states, but primarily in Tennessee. That is definitely something that is needed more than ever right now. It seems like there is so much addiction out there that plagues America in general. That is definitely true. We've been looking at the overdose data, uh, and unfortunately, Tennessee, just like other states, are seeing continued increases in record overdose deaths, especially driven by the rise in fentanyl and uh, counterfeit and uh, tainted drugs. Fentanyl has hit the streets, you know, in a major way. In fact, I remember first hearing about fentanyl and it was when uh, now retired tbi director and i forgot his name right off the bat mike you may recall mark it. um mark gwynn uh, mark gwynn yeah. he came to murfreesboro they set up a press conference at the murfreesboro police department which at the time was next door to us and, and he started talking about how there's been all these recent drug overdose deaths and, and then he then enlightened everybody there about fentanyl and how drug dealers are actually mixing things like cocaine and meth with fentanyl so that they can produce more of the drugs they sell and of course we all know the end result fentanyl just a a small you know the grain of a salt size of it can literally put an elephant to sleep yeah it's sad i was sitting there looking at that to the day i believe there's is it over two thousand deaths i believe it's been from from fentanyl uh, if i'm not mistaken but yeah we're seeing things it's just unprecedented and, and law enforcement is doing the best that they can do uh with the resources they're given but um but that i think it all goes back to to mental health and and catching these young people early on you know we're seeing it just uh not only in in Memphis and Nashville, we see it in Rutherford County, we even see it in Smyrna. You know, I think a lot of problems today, yesterday, 30 years ago, whatever the case may be, a lot of problems for adults, they come from their childhood. And a lot of problems come from mental illness as well, be it, you know, schizophrenia or maybe those who have bipolar disorder. Uh, there's a long list of mental illnesses out there. But, you know, a lot of stuff and I say stuff, a lot of problems start in childhood. No, absolutely. I actually used to be an intensive in-home therapist uh, for a company called Centerstone that serves this area as well. And um, I can say that you do work. I worked with kids with some of the most severe, complex issues you can imagine. Um, Folks at risk for suicide or, you know, homicidal ideation, all sorts of complex issues. And I I will say I didn't work with a single child who I felt um, the issue stemmed originally from that child. It's all about what that child's experience has been, their environment 
environment, their fact trauma, all sorts of other factors. So um, having a good set of supports and other services available to help children develop, speak out when they have issues, they need help. Um, and being there to provide positive reinforcement for these kids is extremely important as they go through what is really complex. And for teenagers, it's, it's more complex than ever with social media and all these other triggers for the brain stimulating folks all the time where we didn't have that growing up uh, at, in older generations. Now there's just this constant stimulus. There's more polarization than ever. And it's hard to be a young person growing up and trying to find your place in the world. Again, Elliot Pinsley with us with behavioral or I should say the Behavioral Health Foundation. You know, there's all different types of trauma out there. There's there's big trauma. Then there's little trauma that is described, I guess, by some psychiatrists and uh, counselors alike. You know, they look at the different traumatic events that may happen to a child throughout their life, and some are much bigger than others. One of those traumatic events would be divorce. That's something that a lot of kids face. Absolutely. Yes, divorce is certainly one of those things that um, can impact a child in a major way. In fact, it's one of the items on the Adverse Childhood Experiences uh, instrument that they've developed, which is something that looks at um, a bunch of different types of traumas and other experiences that have happened to a someone before the age of 18 and how those, the more that you select in that instrument, that, that survey tool, if you will, uh, the more likely someone is to develop not just significant mental health issues, but also physical health issues like diabetes and cardiovascular issues, et cetera. So um, what happens in childhood is extremely important to that uh, person's long-term trajectory, but certainly having traumas, having divorce, seeing someone die in front of you, all sorts of other things that may happen um, and, and abuse and neglect certainly is something to consider. There's a, there's a great deal of that as well. And um, But that is not a, a death sentence by any means for any of these kids. We need to wrap supports around them and help them develop coping mechanisms and, and and they can succeed if we have the right supports and services in place. You know, as psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, as they meet with a new client, let's say it's somebody who is in their early 20s and they start looking at those different traumatic events, you know, some labeling it with, I guess, a big T for worse than others and then lower T for the smaller ones. How far up on that list how big of an issue does it cause when you start looking at, well, this child came from a home where the father physically abused the mother and that child witnessed it? Or uh, another example that we see a lot of today came from a home where the father was an alcoholic or the mother was an alcoholic and that led to that child being made fun of at school if dad showed up drunk or mom showed up drunk. I, I mean, how do you look at all those different factors and then say, well, this is the help you're probably going to need, but you're going to need to keep up that help throughout the rest of your life. That, that's a great question. And certainly abuse and neglect is a major, major trauma. Um, it, it can there's this I'm sure there's a spectrum of that as well. You know, sometimes it's not being looked after by somebody. And then there's all the way up to physical and sexual abuse uh, of a child or a person. And, um, you know, whether that's not something that it's easy for a person to address in therapy immediately. It's all about building a relationship with a very good, well-trained provider who understands these issues and, you know, gets to know somebody so that they can feel 
comfortable opening up. Uh, but these issues are, are really important. We need to be talking about it. And I think it's we've long late for a long time been hiding these issues. We've been uncomfortable talking about them. Of course, there are legal consequences for some of the things we're talking about here. But when if we don't talk about our experiences and, and find somebody who will listen to us, then it's very difficult to ever process what happened and, and improve. A lot of times you see victims of abuse blame themselves and that narrative continues to cycle in their heads. And if they blame themselves, that's going to be something that we in therapy want to help address and help change those thoughts that are not very helpful or even true to thoughts that are more helpful to that person in their recovery. For parents who are out there listening, I'm sure some are dealing with maybe a a teenage son, a teenage daughter who is giving them more problems than maybe in the past. Uh, Or they're dealing with somebody in their early 20s or even 30s and it's their child and they love them very much, but they can't stand seeing the road they're currently on. You know, I guess it's important to say, uh, you know, there, there is hope. And if you send your child to one counselor and it doesn't work out that that those, you know, if they don't match or mesh well, you need to send them to another counselor. But but don't stop the process of trying to help them, because if they experience traumatic events as a child, there is a major recovery that has to take place. Yeah. Yes, and therapy is actually more difficult to come by um, than ever because of some workforce shortages and more need than we've seen in the past. However, there are ways that folks can access services in new ways than they've ever had access before through telehealth. So folks can now access a therapist, a social worker, a counselor through uh, their iPad, their phone, their computer, um, something that was not available before. And our laws have changed to allow that insurance companies to reimburse for those kinds of services. So while it can be difficult to access care in a clinic sometimes. We need to get folks on the waiting list. We need to find someone who's a good fit. And I think it's important too when we consider diversity, you know, talking to somebody who doesn't look or sound like you is is really difficult to get someone to help, encourage them to open up. So one big challenge we have as we look at our mental health workforce is how do we make sure that we have therapists and counselors that are ready to see someone that that do understand that person, their culture, they, they look and sound like them. You know, going through an interpreter is very difficult. We have a lot of new folks moving to the Middle Tennessee area who speak a lot of different languages. How important is, when you're looking for counselors, how important is for a parent to look back and say, well, it was my husband who physically abused me. That's what my son or my daughter witnessed time after time. Or or maybe it was an event involving a, a female. Maybe it was the mother who was causing problems in the marriage. How important is it for that other parent to say, well, I need to send my son or my daughter to a female counselor because the abuser in the past was a male or vice versa. How important does that play a role in finding the right person to talk to your child? That's a great question. And I think that's a very custom fit um, type of issue. I think always we want to make sure that a person feels as comfortable as possible. We don't want to just put random counselor therapist here in place if that person would do better with a different um, type of therapist. And so I think it's about technique, what techniques and what models does that therapist use? It also can be about gender or race um, and ethnicity. So um, it's I'm not sure it's the biggest factor, but of course, if it is a young female who was just ab- you know, abused by a male, then putting that person in 
in front of a male therapist might not be what's best. So, it, but others might be more comfortable if they have a positive male role model in their life in other ways. So it's a very custom situation. But yes, it's something to consider and parents should definitely try to find a therapist that's the best fit. And one thing just to add quickly, I think parents also need to look at their own therapy and, and their own help. So if a, if a child has experienced something significant, uh, major trauma, chances are that the parent has also experienced a major trauma or secondary trauma, and they need to be as healthy as possible for them to help their child. You know, I, that's a great point. I, I don't think a lot of parents really think about that. When they look at the whole equation, they don't put their self in it. In other words, a lot of times parents don't go to get the help they may need, which could really end up hurting your child in the future, especially if they come to you about another problem and you don't know how to handle it because you never dealt with the trauma yourself. Yeah. Well, I know um, uh, these are things that, you know, that um, Scott, you've been talking about for years in WGNS, especially childhood trauma. Um, you know, I read a quote of the day that kind of surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting um, Jordan Peterson. I don't know if folks who know Jordan Peterson is. He's a Canadian professor, kind of outspoken. Um, I'd say he's kind of conservative, kind of a civil libertarian. But I read a quote by him the other day that I thought was neat. He said, the best treatment for alcoholism is a religious conversion. And I was really surprised that Jordan Peterson said that because you don't think of him being religious. You know, he's more of an academic. Um, but going back on the ACEs, uh, you know, if you'd asked me about this 20 years ago, I would have said, suck it up, get over it, move on. And that's that. I got the old school mentality, which would, what my late World War father would have would have told me, man, just get over it, move on. And a lot of folks don't get over this stuff. They don't get over the the trauma. And it's and it's um, it's real. Uh, a letter that I had, I was searching for Elliot's um, uh, information, and I come across a letter, I guess, I sent you, uh, and I've often read this letter. Uh, you've probably heard me read it in, in committee, and it's from the late Dr. Linda Gilbert, the Murfreesboro City Schools Director. After we hosted an opioid um, mental health town hall in Smyrna at Parkway Baptist about three years ago, and here's what the letter said. I remember she passed away shortly after I read this, after I received this letter from her. But here's what Dr. Linda Gibber said. She said, good evening. I apologize for being so delayed in responding. Uh, please thank Representative Sparks for reaching out to me. Yes, more funding for counselors would certainly help with the social emotional issues we're seeing. Another area of social workers. They're vital, and in many school districts, we're not able to fund them. I'd also think it'd be helpful for him and other legislators to talk with school superintendents about the issues we're seeing in very young children. Now, this is what's alarming, Scott, that people really need to pay attention to. Here's what she goes on to say. The behaviors of our six- to nine-year-olds are like nothing we've ever seen before. They're disorderly, disruptive, and aggressive. And while we're bringing all the resources into play, there's no place for these children to go be assessed and treated. I feel very good about the Department of Education, what they're trying to do to accomplish in this area with the emphasis on the whole child, the whole child. I'm hopeful that Departmental Health and Substance Abuse will work alongside with them to help address the upper tier children for whom there seems to be no answers. Thanks again, Linda. And sadly, she passed away, I, I believe, maybe a month after we received that letter. And I'd argue that the late Dr. Linda Gilbert knew more about education than anybody on the education committee in the Tennessee General Assembly. Um, you, you'd have a tough time debating her on education. We didn't always agree on issues, but on this issue, this is an expert of 50 years being a um, an educator. I know you see this 
Elliot, um, what's your response to a letter like this? Well, I, again, we, we all miss Dr. Gilbert. I worked with her directly when I was with Centerstone and helping set up uh, therapeutic services uh, in school for the students in that district. And certainly they were uh, awash with, you know, wanting to make sure to help provide the right supports to these folks. And I think it's it's true that kids have a lot of needs. And, and I think some of this comes from we have new processes in place for kids can share um, some about their behaviors and experiences. We understand a little bit more about mental health than we did before. Uh, but it's more important than ever that we have the resources in place to assess students, to see what their behavioral needs may be, and to align a very good fit in terms of a response. Meaning, do does that person need just a guidance counselor? Do they? Uh, these guidance counselors do great work. They're not always clinical in focus. Do they need a clinician? Do they need a therapist? Do they need to get into family therapy? Do we need to engage the parents? Because I'll argue again, like I said earlier, I've never worked with a child whose issues stem from just that child alone. It's a factor. It's all these factors around them. So um, I think we need to look long and hard at are we providing the right kind of uh, assessments and mental health response to children as they grow up? Interesting. Again, this morning, our guest, Elliot Pinsley, president and CEO of the Behavioral Health Foundation and state representative Mike Sparks, who lives in Smyrna. Uh, Mike, have you seen any recent numbers, any recent survey results uh, about here in Middle Tennessee, Rutherford County, what the numbers look like for, let's say, those who are abused or living in a domestic violence related situation at their house or you know what 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 are we looking at numbers wise well i don't have the i don't have the numbers in front of me because that would be a myriad of issues we could be talking about when it comes to numbers but i think everyone agrees you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who disagrees i mean whether it's law enforcement or social workers or teachers that the that the behavioral problems that we're seeing today in 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 young students and in students in general that's one of the reasons we're hearing about teachers that um that are, are wanting to leave the profession and that's that's alarming i mean i was at a school yesterday meeting with some teachers uh watching their summer reading program the um rocky fork uh, elementary school and um uh and there's there's a little short on staff right now um so if anybody's looking for something to do this summer want to want to help teach um pull up the Rutherford County website and um i know they've got several openings for um uh, assistance over there and um uh, but one one area that that I think we need that we neglect that we forget about when it comes to the whole child, and um, is is not only the the emotional social service and then the uh, cognitive and physical, but the spiritual aspect uh, itself. You know, and I think that goes back to what Jordan Peterson said, the the religious conversion. I mean, for me, my faith means a lot to me. Uh, I probably wouldn't even be able to do. The job I'm doing, if it wasn't for my for my faith, I mean, we had a job for yesterday, an expungement clinic, and I think it's the first time a lawmaker's put an expungement clinic together. Um, that goes back to to that faith issue, um, because I see a disconnect in a culture that someone got in trouble for pot 17, 18 years ago, or you know, where they were 19, and it's still on their record today. And uh, I got talking with a guy yesterday that uh, that that we were able to help and. Um, I called a God thing. He was leaving. He was leaving the meeting at Parkway Baptist's job fair we put together, and I and I went out the door and said, "Hey, so how's things going?" He says, "Well, they're not going to be able to help me." And I was like, "Really?" So my pastor happened to walk out, Brother Shelby Hazard, 
and uh, and he was on the phone. And I called a guy week one because the pastor happened to be there. I said, hey, man, let's, let's pray with this guy. So we prayed with the guy, and I was going to go get all the staff and everybody pizza. And so I was fixing to leave. I said, hey, won't you hang out and have lunch with us? Go in there and talk to Chelsea Curtis. And Chelsea's from here in Rutherford County. Uh, she's kin to the, the Haynes the Haynes family. And um, go talk to Chelsea. And so I came back from getting 12 pizzas and uh, thinking of Papa John's for giving me 50% off. You know, I had to buy that on my own. And the guy comes around and he says, hey, man, my record's going to be able to be expunged. He said there's new laws going into place July 1st. Uh, and I got talked about his life. He says, you know, my dad committed suicide when I was 12. He said my mom was on heroin. And, you know, my grandmother raised me. And I thought, man, I, I used to think I had a little bit of a tough childhood, but thank God I had a stepfather. Thank God I had a, a dad who may have been pretty difficult being World War II and militant like he was. But, man, you look back at these environments. Uh, I talked to a woman that was in prison a few years ago. Well, she was I was torn the Tennessee Women's Prison. I, I think I was with you that time. Was you on that? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that woman's from Smyrna. Mm-hmm. And she had a car wreck, and she, you know, the doctor prescribed her some type of painkillers and got hooked on them, and I think started stealing. And um, and you look back at, at at those those childhood trauma issues. And one thing that that this station has led uh, with you speaking out about this, Scott, was the childhood sexual trauma. You go back and look at the correlation between, especially females, that end up in prison. It's like 70% or 80% were abused uh, as a juvenile. Uh, and there's a correlation with, with with men as well. But it's a serious issue, and sadly, it's a, it's a rising issue of mental health uh, epidemic today. It, we are almost out of time already. It's over 20 minutes has already flown by. Hard to believe, I know. But for those who are listening, who want to get more information, who may want to get help, uh, I guess, Elliot, let's turn to you. What what should they do? Where should they turn? We have about a minute left. Absolutely. Starting July, it's not here yet, but starting July 16th, everywhere throughout the United States, there's going to be a new three-digit number for folks who are in mental health crisis or need uh, phone support uh, or tech support. So folks will be able to text 988, just like they call uh, 911, starting July 16th. This will be available throughout Tennessee. They'll be able to connect it to a live counselor uh, suicide to, for suicide prevention or other support 24-7. There's a suicide prevention lifeline number, um, which I have to pull up here because I don't have it right in front of me, but I want to make sure I get it to you, um, as well as other resources. The Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services has a great deal of services available to folks, and they have great information on how to get connected. Sounds good. Again, thank you both for joining us thank this you, morning. Scott. Elliot Pinsley and Representative Mike Sparks. Rutherford Issues on News Radio WGNS.